This podcast is sponsored by Salesforce.org. Salesforce.org is the dedicated team at Salesforce that delivers technology to non-profits, educational institutions and philanthropic organisations so they can connect with others and do more good. Salesforce.org empowers higher education with Education Cloud, a set of integrated solutions built on the world's number one CRM, developed for the specific needs of the industry and in close collaboration with the community it represents. From building brand awareness, transforming the applicant experience, enhancing student services, building lifelong alumni relationships, or managing change and optimizing technology across the campus, Education Cloud supports institutions to drive student success and institutional success at scale. Learn how institutions are paving the way for the future of higher education and driving all kinds of innovations with Education Cloud by visiting the website salesforce.org forward slash higher ed and exploring the higher education customer stories. everyone and welcome to The Edge, supported by Salesforce.org. This series is all about new ways of doing things in higher education leadership. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us using the hashtag EdTechPodcast. This week's episode is all about data. We're in a live discussion with university leaders covering the role of data in teaching, research and student support. We look at how data can be an impetus to positive change what data black spots to avoid, and how to make sure that you are asking the right questions to get the best from data. Okay, here we go. Brilliant, so we're at Times Higher Education Live at Tower Bridge. And I'm delighted to be joined by many talented guests to talk about the data-led university. This podcast follows a panel discussion on the same topic, and we hope that this behind-the-scenes recording gives a chance to capture all those I-wish-I-said moments. Uh, So without further ado, let's meet our guests. So just to kick off, perhaps we could have a quick uh, introduction of who you are and what you do. Hi, Camille Kandekohausen. I'm Associate Professor of Education at Imperial College London. Fantastic. Good afternoon, Jane Armstrong. I'm a Senior Director for Higher Education Industry Solutions for Europe, Middle East and Africa at salesforce.org. Thank you, Jane. I'm Simon Baker. I'm the Data Editor at Times Higher Education. Thank you very much. Um, First question, what were the highlights of today's panel? So we've just had this whirlwind discussion. If you were to walk out of this room, what were the points that uh, would stick with you afterwards? I, I think the overall feeling I get from it is that you know, we need to stay in control of data, right, and not let it overwhelm us uh, in terms of universities, maybe society more generally. Uh, we need to make sure that we know what it's for, what we're doing with it, who we're trying to help, um, whether that's students, researchers, the university's mission, uh, and make sure that we ask the right questions about what that data is for before we start looking at the data and collecting it. Um, well, it's being collected all the time. But um, anyway, but really to think about quite carefully what we're trying to do with that data. Um, and that 
probably goes not just at the university level, but also for the government, for the regulators, because a lot of the time they're the ones kind of pushing universities. We need this, we need this. Mm. Uh, and if, if they can kind of frame those questions right, it will help universities. I love David's point about the government perhaps conflating um, cost and value and the two being quite different. So that was one of my favourite takeaways. Yeah, I kind of had two. One was the consensus that we had coming from a variety of different uh, positions and thinking about it, whether it was about students or research or or the sector overall, uh, that actually the same issues come up at all of those all of those levels around yep. you know ethics and quality and you know purpose and value, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And and the other point I thought was universities need to to be a bit more proactive about yep. collecting the data that they think is mm. important for what they think they are doing. And this probably wouldn't be the same data across the sector, but how do universities get a bit more clever about the data that is relevant to the mission that they have? And, and I loved your point because I think you talked about, you know, universities aren't, you know, one one offering. There are many offerings. And then as a result, um, you know, here it's set in the UK, perhaps it's more consumer focused. So what employability, what are our starting salaries? Whereas elsewhere, it's more about morals or civic duty which so there's a different flavor to the data that should reflect what our social um or university ambitions are anyway yeah yeah i think there's a big there's a big gap and i think actually there's a lot of universities that really have that civic mission uh but they don't necessarily have the data to back it up Mm -hmm. so they have they're at the stage where they've got the vision and they've got the values and they've got the intention but they don't necessarily have data to to evidence that success. Um, but I think that's something that the sector could work together and come up with. How do we start to account for the, those kinds of things that the sector does value? You know, just continuing on that point is how there's such an opportunity, no matter what angle you're looking at this, right? I mean, you know, how do we all come together to solve this challenge, right? And, and everybody's looking at this data, and yes, you've got to think about... Uh, how do you harness it also um, overall? How do you use it and really unlock it across the campus? I mean, well, you and I were even talking about that and how, and I know I spoke about this, but still how it still is across all different areas. And even Paul from HESA talked about this. It's not even across the institution, but in general. Right? And how do you really think about using that moving forward? So getting rid of the silos and the little pockets yeah. of data that but also is very valuable data, isn't it? So then you have to really trust the person that you're going to share that with. So that's perhaps why sometimes it gets sort of ferreted away a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that point of trust is really interesting. Um, and I think what you do with the data, I think we run into this in some of the, the key data that's used within institutions around teaching, like module evaluations. Um, what is it used for? Is it, is it used for teachers to improve and enhance their own teaching? Or is it used for promotions? And we know, you know, from large scale studies that it's very biased data, you know, against women and ethnic minorities, as well as the subject you're teaching. <laughs> um, you know, so it's really tricky to use that data uh, for certain purposes, um, even though it might be really powerful powerful data to use for enhancement purposes. And you made that point about, you know, actually needing to reskill if you're talking about teaching and learning. So we get all this data analytics in the back of online uh, teaching modules, but, you know, that will then inform how people perhaps rearrange their curriculum or enhance certain parts of it. But that uh, professional development piece is perhaps a bit missing still. Yeah, right now those are kind of like three separate jobs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have the person doing the, you know, kind of collecting the data, someone kind of doing the analytics and someone else doing the teaching. Um, and even if those people are part of a team, it's not kind of guaranteed that they'll come together for, you know, the kind of end goal of the improvement of the student experience, actually. 
I was interested to find out a little bit more about your four million pound learning gain pilot project that I believe you helped assess or had some involvement with. Yes, so I, was, I was evaluating the pilot right. projects. Yes, and so what were your kind of takeaways from that? Well, it, it, it became a very political process, and I think because they actually didn't address the questions of, you know, kind of value and purpose, and we're kind of trying to just find numbers, right? Uh, and ideally numbers that could just kind of go in a box in the TEF. Um, and when it became not that easy, it was kind of something then, rather than take a stand and say, this is actually what we value and what we think purposes are and the direction we want to go in, they kind of shelved the project. Um, and instead are actually focusing on, just adding to the NSS, um, which means instead of getting better data about students' learning and value for money, we're just learning more about student satisfaction. I think that's super interesting because there's a, a question from the lady there. I think it was, it was at the University of Hertfordshire. Um, and, uh, you know, her point was, how do we keep the human element around all of this? And you and I were talking, um, Simon, about, you know, you have slow food and you have, have slow business. And perhaps we're evolving with the use of data and we'll get that kind of cultural point around, you know, it's not black and white. And perhaps it's, it's kind of learning to interpret it, isn't it, as yes. well? Yeah. I, I think um, that's right. And uh, something that was interesting came out of a, an, uh, another discussion I was involved with, um, in earlier is that um, the, the sector feels that the learning game pilot was extremely valuable, actually, and has some really valuable lessons to learn there about how we can improve um, student attainment. And uh, we shouldn't lose that. A valuable kind of exercise and even if it's not going to be rolled out into kind of something more yeah. uh, sector-wide uh, because uh, like you made uh, the point that you made in the discussion it, it is possible to measure uh, things if it's thought about carefully you know we shouldn't just kind of bury our heads in the sand and go we can't do it we can't do it it's not possible um, well yeah I mean there's a huge irony in the the approach that OFS is taking is they're they're a market regulator trying to drive competition in the sector yeah. but then they're holding all institutions to account for the same data which means no one's allowed to specialize become distinctive which is the whole point of a market um, and I think what what you actually want are institutions to compete in different spaces so that you know for example in the US you can can be a really good liberal arts college and you're not trying to be a research intensive institution you're trying to be the best liberal arts college you can whereas in the UK you know conservatoires and you know are held to account for the same thing as red brick institutions mm -hmm. and and they're not fair comparisons actually uh, and they're not allowing institutions to be distinct and distinctive and and you know kind of showcase the ways that they're special and you know to recruit students who want a distinctive special experience. So I think I think there's some logic there in kind of how OFS is using data in kind of a, a one-size-fits-all way and how do we, you know, think of data more broadly, which would ironically actually fit this mission of a competitive market. Value, yeah. And I think that's interesting because it's also what uh, the keynote speaker talked about, Kevin Fong, earlier, right? When he was talking about, you know, the competitive environment has changed, the landscape overall has changed so quickly. But then how does a university really find what is distinctive about themselves? Um, and with this competition, whether it's in America or here or globally, you know, students are looking more internationally at those schools. So they have to be more distinctive. Um, and it's interesting because I've often said, you know, the terms, well, finding the right students almost seen as oh well that's a bad thing but actually not everybody is set up for the right institution you want to make sure that you're setting your students up to succeed you know if they go in studying one thing maybe that's not right for them you know and how do you be more proactive in thinking about that and they want this more I think traditional you know consumer experience well how are you set up to, to be able to do that and how can data 
lead for that conversation. Um, and I think we often think of data can be a bad word, but it's actually how do you use it to be more innovative on your campus, you know, to be delivering across the board. There's two points there. Like one in defense yeah. of data yeah. is the room next door is talking about diversity in higher education, which was our last episode. We looked at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so data can be a, a sort of driving um, point or yeah. starting point for action. Yeah. You know, if you're starting to collect and measure things and actually say, well, you know, this is has not changed, then let's do something about it. Um, but contrary to that was uh, Kevin Fong's point about if he was sort of a data statistic now or data set you know, he wouldn't be the one getting into some of the top universities in London, yet, you know, he's been really successful. So if you look at it on paper, um, you know, he wouldn't get entered necessarily, but actually he's got all the assets that, that are needed to kind of thrive and survive. So it's it's kind of like making sure we're aware of our data blind spots as well a little bit. Well, I think about also not letting data be the driver. So, I mean, yeah. I think that what, what Kevin was talking about is things like... Um, admissions can become just you just add up tariff points and then you either you're in the in basket or the out basket Um, and you know and there's no contextualization or understanding or getting to know students and of course you know there's a lot of unfairness in things like interviews but it does allow students with you know different qualifications coming in to maybe you know shine a bit and Mm -hmm. and get a, a place that you know maybe they they'll do very well with um and i think that's you know kind of how you use data and i think actually being you know completely data-led can actually be to the detriment of individuals. Having that um, human element involved as well. I think, I think um, a really good example of this is how you, you measure something that you're trying to improve and then it just changes what you're, what you're, what you're trying to do is um, when the way that universities measure disadvantage in, in, the, in the UK from, stu- from students is, is one of my, my pet peeves, actually. <laughs> so basically, we measure it based on, on, a, on a neighbourhood area where we've looked at the, the number of people from that area have gone to university. And um, everyone knows that when you look at London, <laughs> it just doesn't work because you can have like a neighbourhood of London and it will be, have a very high participation rate, yeah. but there'll be an estate in that area Kensington where nobody goes to university. So, example, yeah, it? the universities, uh, they're basically driven to kind of improve their participation rate from these areas that, right. that are supposed to be low participation <laughs> so they just uh will move you know the, 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 they will go towards those areas that are are lower participation but they might necessarily not be because you, you another, another quirk of the data actually is that you you might have a, a rural area which is low participation but it's got a private school in it yeah right or so, homers or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so therefore they're all going to be yeah so that, that they would have ticked their box saying we've got lots of students from that area but actually they they're all independently educated yeah i mean similarly i'm really upset the tough metrics that a lot of institutions might cover about 20 percent of the student body uh they don't cover postgraduate students they don't yeah, cover international just, students yeah. uh, and when you d- an institution like imperial we have 50 percent international students um, and they're not counted for in any of the outcome metrics. Um, and so, you know, you're dismissing so many students when you look at that. Um, and that's something I've actually given lectures to um, on courses for aspiring governors to say you can't just use these data sets that the regulators kind of yeah. ask for because yeah. they don't actually account for the students at that institution. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you need to push back. And your respo- what I say is your responsibility to governor is to all the students at that institution not just to the regulators who, you know, kind of cherry pick a certain segment that they hold the institution to account for. Well, so this leads me on to my next question is, um, how are universities making sense of data? Who is the interpreter? And I've put data protection officer, whole senior leadership team, question mark, or external partners, 
people like Data HE, HESA, um, any thoughts on, you know, how do, how do people make sense of that? There's, there's so many stakeholders involved. I suppose, um, I mean, this comes back to what you're using data for, really, in a way. Um, one of the two major uh, holders of data, I suppose, uh, that, we, that we look at for THE when it comes to the UK is UCAS uh, and HESA. But they've both got very different roles. UCAS is a very sort of kind of market that is their governance as well. So UCAS's role is really about admissions and that's a competitive market, right? And HESA is much more about giving you background and context about the the, the sector as a whole. So it's about uh, they have different missions and therefore the data is produced in different ways. They actually have completely different IDs for institutions and things. There's no, sometimes, and I think Paul was talking about this, you need this integration between the two of them. There's something that came out of a session I was chairing earlier um, was that do do we need, say, for example, a unique learner number in HE that that can help us kind of, it sounds a little bit kind of um, Orwellian, but um, do do we need to give, uh, does each... uh, individual student even from the time when they're at school do we need a number to so, so that all these things marry up everyone knows who they're talking about in terms of the data you have strict rules around privacy obviously but then that would help to kind of integrate those systems i mean i don't know what other people think of that well, uh, as orwellian as it seems it is being talked about yeah. <laughs> on some level and how do you i mean kind of as the learner actually own your profile and then you can give the permission on the data that you want yeah. but that you can also share it so that as you enter a university you know that they are able to better understand who you are and making sure from the onset that that onboarding experience is more tailored and relevant that you even have the support from day one that you might need you know across the institution and I think it is around you know how and one gentleman said you know we're actually drowning in data there's actually so much data that you're right and there's so many different stakeholders it's not just how do you make sense of this but but how do you almost have that structure how do you create a governance model on your campus so that you can think about this Um, and you're giving the right information to the relevant individuals at the right time. I mean, at the same time, not everybody needs access to all of the data, but you do need that, you know, culture of data, you know, going up and going down across the university. And I think sometimes the the student gets lost in the mix of this, you know, and not thinking of them as just, oh, well, they're amalgamation of many different data points, but what does this actually mean? And being able to pull up to that strategic view of, well, how does this align to the mission and the vision, asking those right questions, but also, you know, challenging it across the institutions and across you know the entire sector to say is this what we need is this right is this the data that we have you know and how do we move forward from there I mean I think a challenge within universities it's often the external facing people who have the data and access the data because they need to you know they have to report back to HESA um, and to the OFS and work with the UCAS data coming in and it's that translation job to the individuals within the institution and it's not helped by things like the regulator pushing for something like subject TEF that doesn't actually align with the courses that students take Uh, So again, then you get data clumped in ways that isn't relevant for individual students because it's compiling data across a whole bunch of faculties that for most students that never encounter. So what's the point of this algamated data? So then how does that then get translated again into the relevant level to help teachers actually understand the students that they are teaching? Because that's the data they need, right. not kind of general data about some students somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, the, the challenge within institutions to kind of map the data to the relevant party um, and have them actually then see what they're doing.
Another person I wanted to ask about interpreting data for universities was Paul Clark, the Chief Executive at HESA, or the Higher Education Statistics Agency. Here's what he said when we caught up on the phone this week. Okay, so I think there's a distinction between the people who run universities and the people who contribute research for university activity. So in terms of the first, the obviously the strategic planners and the registrars and others are our primary customers, primary users of the data. And they're the ones who are charged with bringing all the data together from various sources, making sense of it, and then using it to inform decision-making at senior level in institutions. So they, they have this responsibility. They are the most data literate and data hungry of our, of our customers. And increasingly, they're wanting to draw together data from many different sources in order to be able to navigate their way through what is an increasingly complex environment. So strategically, I would say they're, they're with the biggest audience and the, those who are making most use of it. Um, but also just a couple of other groups. Mm. Secondly, there, there are those who are, who are sort of charged with more operational responsibility for running different aspects of the university and data is coming in much more pervasively to every single area of university activity so it's not just about the administration or the finances or the strategy Mm. it's actually about the core activities of teaching research and student support Um, so in addition to administrators there are you know academics lecturers researchers and students themselves I think who are making much much more use of data now Uh, and I think the the sector as a whole is at the beginning of this journey and there's there's a long way to go but the possibilities are really exciting and there's some really fantastic examples of doing this in the, in the sector yeah so in my experience there are a couple of universities who do a really fantastic job of putting together their own academic expertise in data science with their administrative capability to create a really fantastic infrastructure that can particularly support student learning and progression and also student welfare and uh, health and well-being and this is it does provide that kind of individualized tailored service that is spoken about in in other areas and it's there are so there are not many examples of this yet i don't think but there are a small number of highly effective examples and I think it, I think that is quite exciting. And when I talk to the people who are involved in this kind of work, the um, there's initially some challenge in getting the academics and the students on board with it. But once they see the benefits, um, everybody and everybody gets behind it, mm. then I think the potential is really significant because it really does support students who may otherwise be facing difficulty. You know, they want very rapid feedback. Um, they get it in other areas of their lives. So why shouldn't they get it at university, particularly when many more young people are going to university than ever before? Um, and that relies not just on data, but it's a very data-hungry service. And I think, again, that putting these these items together uh, from different sources and, and feeding them through really sort of insightful and accessible digital technology is, um, you know, is a really fantastic set of developments. It needs to be scaled up in the sector, in my view. Well, a quick one. I mean, if I understand correctly, you you know, you held um, various positions within universities before sort of perhaps going into this data specialism. And I just wondered, right. um, for those people listening who sort of see that, you know, this is a critical area within the running of a university, 
what yeah. kind of professional development opportunities are there? What should they be looking out for in order to better understand and use this to their benefit? Well, I'd say two things. One is um, a, a that are quite broad. One is an understanding of digital transformation, how digital services work, how they can be integrated into university operations and systems. There are particular approaches that you would apply if you want to digitize something. And I think that, um, again, there's not a, we're at the start of that journey. Um, so there's more way, more to be done on that. And I think the second thing is statistical literacy. Mm. Um, so if you put those two things together, so people have got an understanding of numbers, and the techniques to combine lots of uh, really sizable data sets together, together in a way that produces meaningful insights and is done in a literate way. You combine that with understanding of how to channel things through new digital services. I think that's a hugely powerful combination. And anybody who's got that skill set is going to be highly in demand in the university sector. Fantastic. And then just one final one. I noticed uh, it mentioned cybersecurity in your uh, bio. Yeah. And um, I saw something, I can't remember if it was JISC or someone that was sharing a project where universities were sort of stress testing uh, each other's data security protocols. And I just wondered if more broadly there was an opportunity for universities to work together, test each other's work out. Definitely, yeah. So when, so not in this role, in, in a previous role, um, did work with with the government, with the Cabinet Office and with others when they were launching their cybersecurity initiative and sort of a liaise between the government and the university sector to raise awareness around cybersecurity and to understand the particular challenges that universities face. And as part of that process, there we set up some forums where university practitioners in, in cybersecurity could uh, discuss with one another the kind of threats that they were seeing and the things that they were facing so that they could... Um, learn from the experience of others and, and take action. And that was a combination of university sort of IT, heads of IT, mm. chief information officers, but also, again, academics who working in academic departments in universities on, on cybersecurity, uh, of which there are a number of um, really excellent departments in this country. And I think bringing together that, that academic expertise with the, with the IT people, the IT staff who are responsible for leading this area in, in an area which was genuinely new and uncertain, I think it was a really powerful combination. And that the all that's happened since that time, as a few years ago now, is that the the number of threats have just increased exponentially. Mm. Uh, so it's ever more important that those those forums exist, and I no doubt that they're still continuing to be used. And I know this is something that that the government you know continues to have an interest in and engage with the sector on. Thanks, Paul. And now back to our chat. Well, that brings me on to my point. But, uh, Simon, we went through a golden age of infographics a few years back, and now it's all about the dashboard. Uh, and, of course, league tables. What's your approach with making sense of data for universities? So how can we make that uh, exact complicated situation we just discussed more simple? My, my approach literally as a, as a journalist trying to make sense of data on higher education. Um, to ask the question first, I think that's kind of what came out of the session today. Um, what do I want to know? Why, why do I want to know it? Um, and then and then look for the data and then always bear in mind context. Always. Every, every point. Think about the caveats to what you're looking at. Think about what it doesn't include. Think about where it might be wrong. Um, uh, they're kind of golden rules that I always have. Um, 
And I think then you can't go far wrong. And I think it's all about communicating caveats as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're writing about data or you're trying to explain data, say, you know what, uh, I always try and start this whenever I write an article or at least a longer article. This isn't perfect. What we've tried to do here, it doesn't, it doesn't measure everything. It's, it, it might even have unintended consequences and be wrong in some places, but we're trying our best. And, um, yeah. And I think that's the, actually an approach that goes uh, along with a, in, in the rankings as well, um, certainly. So, so I started my career um, actually in recruitment and admissions working for a university. And it used to be very frustrating because there were the equivalents of the rankings of the league tables. And people would come and say, well, you are not ranked high enough, right? Well, they're looking at a certain set of data. And, and I fully respect that that's the case, you know, that, that there is might be out there. But there has to be, and we talked about this before, still that human element, right? Still, how do you interpret it? And is this right for you? I mean, how do you use the right data, you know, to personalize it for your own experience? Right, you can look at all of this, but at the same time, it, it still has to be, you know, uh, thought-provoking. Asking the right questions, still understanding what do you want to gain, for instance, from that university experience. That it might be the best research university, but if you have no desire to do research, then that's not going to be the right place for you. You know, if you have no desire to study one topic, um, then you need to figure out what is the right place for you. So, asking those questions and, and finding it relevant. I actually think students are pretty savvy on this front. <laughs> um, when you talk to students about how they use things like league tables, they don't just open it up and see who's at number one and say, you know, one to five, that was my UCAS, you know, kind of form. You know, a lot of students that you, you talk to them and it doesn't actually match the way a lot of universities act like students would use the data. Um, so I think it is providing, you know, data in lots of, you know, lots of formats, lots of different kind of data so that people can make informed choices. I mean, I've talked yes. to a lot of students who, who kind of walked me through their college decision-making process, you know, in different research projects I've done. And it was things like, oh, I kind of want to study marine biology. Then I looked at the courses that did marine biology. Then I looked at my grades and saw which ones I could get into. Um, you know, and then I, there were like four left and, you know, I had a look at them and this one was rated the highest you know, of my options. And so they tend to look at it much more nuanced ways. I mean, especially domestic students, international, it can be a bit different. But especially for domestic students, it isn't this just kind of, you know, the rankings drive what they're doing. They'll use, and then they'll be like, I went and looked at that institution. It was just like a concrete jungle. I couldn't see myself there. Or it was too close to home or too close to my boyfriend or not far enough away. (laughs) Well, there's so much more data as well besides the league tables, right? I mean, the chat rooms that they have with each other that is going and, you know, analyzing, well, what is it really like on this campus? I mean, we talk about data. There's data in so many different formats now, which is very different than uh, when some of us might have gone to university. Yeah, and I think actually understanding how students use the data mm-hmm. is, you know, really interesting because that actually provides a bit more insight into, you know, what's useful and what's not mm-hmm. uh, and how does it factor into decision making. And, you know, and then talking to students and be like, well, and did it, ref- you know, was it then helpful, mm-hmm. you know, or do you wish you'd kind of known something else? Yeah, I was interviewing someone a couple of weeks back and they were talking about, you know, the league tables don't account for what is the sort of demographic mix of the student population in terms of their backgrounds and am I going to fit right. in and that kind of thing, which I think is quite interesting as well. Interesting. well for a lot of students, that could be a very course-based feeling because there's a lot of large institutions that have certain courses that might be very diverse. Yep. And you walk in another classroom yep. and you're looking at a sea of the same faces. Mm. So it's very difficult because you kind of need that data nuance. It doesn't matter that there's a whole bunch of 
you know, students who might fit a certain background, but if they're on a different campus studying different subjects, that's yeah. not going to make a difference to your own experience. So I think for students, that data, it has to be at the relevant level to kind of say, in my day-to-day classroom experience, is it going to kind of reflect the environment I want to be in? Not, is there a whole nother diverse faculty that actually isn't sitting in my class? Which is a perfect example of... <laughs> The data versus the lived experience, isn't it? Yeah. I was just going to say, and what we're talking about really right now is very much the physical campus, right? But there's increasingly the online schools, right? And what does that look like, you know, and what data do they have? And that's a totally different experience. (laughs) Topic for another time, I think. (laughs) At this point, I was keen to hear about the role of data in world-class research. During the time of our recording, David Price, Vice Provost of Research at UCL, had to dash to another session, but he's kindly spent part of his weekend sending in his thoughts. I asked him, how can we make sure that the tail doesn't wag the dog? I.e. with REF and other frameworks, there's a risk that our measurement of citations drives increased focus on commercial research tied explicitly to funding, as opposed to an idea of liberal education as open-ended and exploratory. So how do we protect university from being measured to death and make sure that the data is to the university's power? And here is what he said. The impact of the REF has, I think, been a very positive thing for British research. It focuses on quality over quantity. So we only have to submit 2.5 outputs per person in the REF process, and that covers a seven-year period that can't really be seen to be excessively demanding. Likewise, citations are only used by some of the science areas as a guide to some of the impact of the research. It's not driven by metrics. And finally, REF is actually now requiring researchers to make their work available by open access. And this is a global good because it spreads the dissemination of knowledge as quickly and as widely as possible. When it comes to research in universities, we should be driven by questions, not by data. So it's important to frame the questions one wishes to answer with care. There is a danger, if you don't, that one becomes what one measures. So data must be used with caution. In research, we must also consider data on research and research data. These are two different things. Data on research tends to focus on things like research grant income, the number of research papers published, or the number of citations. This data, in comparing it, is most useful when looking at similar course-scale institutions like universities or faculties. It's often misleading and should not be done to assess the achievements of an individual researcher. That approach falls foul of the San Francisco Declaration on Research Appraisal, which the Research England and UKRI are signed up to. Turning to research data, this is being generated in ever-increasing volumes at universities. Often, funders require this data to be curated and preserved. Indeed, many universities are now committed to an open data policy, which requires them to develop institutional research repositories and staff to develop and maintain the metadata that's needed by third-party users if the data is to be useful. In the future, these data sets 
will be certainly used by AI systems and other techniques and we'll just have to be careful that they are not abused by such systems. I fear there will be no escaping data in the future of any university, but we must remember it needs to be used with care and with responsibility. Thanks, David. And now back to our room at the THE Live. Conscious of time. Um, so two really final questions, but very quick answers. Uh, so I've put sometimes when you have an argument, you walk away and then the killer line comes into your head that you wish you had said. In a slight comparison, did any of you run out of time in the panel but have additional points on data you wanted to share? Or Simon, did you have any other questions or angles you would have loved to ask? So any final points, basically? Um, I, I suppose if I was going to ask uh, a question um, further, I've pretty much got in most of, most of the questions I could ask, but if I was going to ask one more, um, it would be something along the lines of, is there anything in higher education we should never try and measure with data? And I, I'm not sure if uh, there you go. I've put you no. on the spot. We'll, we'll just leave that one for <laughs> yes. our listeners to mull over. Yes. Um, any other final points or points that you'd love, love to kind of round off with? I think my thought was kind of how do we actually use data to integrate some of the different purposes of higher education a bit more. So um, David talked about data in terms of research. I talked about it in terms of teaching. But how do we use data to kind of link teaching and research a bit more and get academics to think about teaching the way they might think about their research um, and use that evidence, you know, in ways that academics might be comfortable in one sphere and less comfortable in another. Um, So I think there's a bit more how do we... How do we be more creative with bringing the different missions of the university together rather than isolating them out because everyone becomes kind of a, a, its own data point? One, one thing I was going to ask, actually, because of the learning gain um, pilots, uh, do you think there'll be a time in the next 20 years where we can compare universities across the world on teaching through, through learning gain? Do you think that'll ever happen? In a way, I think there's a lot that will be able to be compared. Uh, but I don't think it would ever be able to be comprehensive because I think there's, in different societies, higher education fits into societal structures in different ways. Yeah. Um, when we talked, I was at an international panel with some German academics, and when we talked about employability being the obsession of UK higher education, they were completely gobsmacked because they already they track students early on. Yeah. So the point of yeah. university education is not employability. They were like, well, that's... Yeah, they, they kind of have we, the. Yeah, I could believe we haven't even thought of that. <laughs> well, they have they have jobs matched out to yeah. different sectors of education, so it's not that there's then this free for all employability at the end of university study. Uh, so, if you think, how would we ever agree on what higher education's for? If you said, well, not employability in Britain, and then you know, what's it like in the German system? You yeah. know, I don't think we'll agree on that front, but I think we can get a lot better about capturing student outcomes from learning, mm. effective learning yes. processes. How do we use what we know? from innovations and pedagogy to yeah. better capture, you know, how, how do we teach well? How do students learn most effectively? How do we tailor education? I think we've got a lot of room for improvement in that space. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, uh, and I touched on this a bit before, but data on and innovation. Um, but just to Camille, your point, yeah, I think data actually provides this opportunity to start linking up across the campus so we talked about how it can be in these siloed systems it's learning it's research you know it's vcs it's deans well actually how do you start to use the data to link everything together and break down those silos across the the institution and then start to align that more with the vision and the insights and, and be more proactive as you said kind of at the initial of our conversation i think that's that's really an opportunity for us brilliant okay final 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 question 
not really a question. We always ask our podcast guests what people, projects, books, or other resources inspire them. On the subjects of higher ed and data, any suggestions you'd like to throw in the ring for people wanting to dig in a bit more? Uh, I loved an article I read by Nick Cohen, I think that was the name, um, on who does what works work for. Um, and it was so insightful on the kind of well intentions of policymakers to get data that then they can say definitively this data says what works and how that completely does not work for what it's designed to do, which is improve the experience of students. Um, (laughs) uh, So yeah, that's one I would vote for. So, so the one that came to mind, which isn't per se on, on the industry or on data, but I do think it's an interesting framework, is the book Originals by Adam Grant, which I think is just an interesting way when we're thinking about topics overall to think about it from many different angles. Okay. Uh, and I suppose the one thing that came to mind because it helped me with a project recently is there is an amazing resource online called Our World in Data, which is uh, a project of um, some academics at Oxford, I believe. Uh, and they've basically, we talk about integrating data sets, right? So they have integrated lots of data sets into a bunch of really amazing, interesting infographics, right. interactive ones that you can look at for education, for health, for science, all sorts of things on web, one website. I recommend people go and have a look. And so for anyone listening, um, Simon has uh, his face looks like a sort of child in a sweet shop. I <laughs> thought of that. So anyone else who loves data or infographics or digging into things, go and have a look at that. And uh, just to round off, thank you all so much for sticking around for this recording. And uh, have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank Take you. Care. Thank Thanks you very much. Thanks. That's all for this week. I hope you've enjoyed this recording about the possibilities of data and all we should consider as we work in and around it. Thanks so much for listening in and huge thank you to all of my guests and salesforce.org for supporting. You can continue the conversation online at hashtag edtechpodcast, at podcast edtech and at salesforce.org on all the social medias. Or for all the show notes, including resource and reading recommendations, it's www.theedtechpodcast.com. Have a great week. Bye-bye.